Piers Cunningham and Brad McKenzie sitting down on a Friday afternoon just the day after SpaceX blasted its starship into or attempted to blast it into <laughs> orbit and uh, it was it, it didn't quite get there it lasted about four minutes they passed what's called max q which is the maximum sort of dynamic load i guess it's to do with um you know where you are in the earth's atmosphere and the speed that you're trying to do and as the higher you get the thinner the atmosphere the less resistance so there's a period where you're accelerating and you go through this period called max Q and it got past that. It's kind of a critical time in a, in a launch. Right. Yep. They got past that. Then they got to the period where, where the main booster was going to separate from the second stage, uh, which is actually the thing called the Starship. So there's the, the super heavy booster, which is the base of the rocket. Um, that's got those, that cluster of 33 Raptor engines. Uh, and they're the ones that are producing huge amounts of horsepower. Yeah, 17 million pounds of thrust, 363 million horsepower, lifting 5,000 tons fully fueled at launch. So how does that compare with what we used to in the olden days? Yeah. Well, Saturn V was um, around in the 60s. The um, engine technology for the, the first stage, the F1 engines, goes back to the early 1960s when, when Kennedy was around. Yeah. So he... He made the call that men would go to the moon within the period of the 1960s in the knowledge. So this is going back to like, I think 1962 thereabouts, in the knowledge that they had that, those five, right. uh, those, the F1 engine, which was still the most powerful single engine. So the Saturn V used five of them to get the rocket off the ground and well up into uh, the atmosphere. Whereas the Starship super heavy lifter that SpaceX has developed, it uses a cluster of 33 engines on the yes. bottom of it. And not all of them even fired last night. If they can succeed with making it safe and making it reliable and reusable, that's one of the key things also yes. that SpaceX is aiming for, is to have the, the first stage separate and land back. And the way that it lands, I don't know if you've seen any drawings or diagrams of it, but it, it, it goes back to the launch pad. The tower that it's attached to, that it gets fueled from, that sits on the launch pad waiting to go off, it, the idea with the reusability is that actually the, the first stage flies, it sort of hovers and flies back to the launch pad. I mean, this relies on a lot of precision because it's an enormous object. It basically goes back to the launch pad and these things called chopsticks grab it and hold it in place. It's interesting you say that because Musk, there's a couple of quotes that I... I got yesterday, which I think were absolutely fantastic. The SpaceX president, mm. uh, Gwen Shotwell, and I didn't make that name up, but it is Shotwell. Shotwell, yeah. Said in February, the real goal is not to blow up the launch pad. Yeah. And Musk said yesterday that he was wrapped that even though it didn't go very far, it didn't damage the launch pad because that could put them back 12 months. So right. they can build the rocket again. Mm. But the launch pad, getting it to actually land on the launch pad, yeah. is, is really important to the whole uh, Absolutely. The whole scenario. And, and the reason that he's got to where he is is because he's brought down the cost of launching. So he's, he's a profitable space business because of the, the Falcon 9, which is the workhorse rocket that, that you know, launches all those communication satellites yeah. and military satellites and even the, the Dragon capsule, which takes people up to the International Space Station. So it's a human-rated rocket. It's reliable. And it's launching, I think it's launching more than once a week this, this year. Mm. Very profitable. And the, the key to that success is reusability because the base, the first stage is recycled. Yes. And in some <clears> cases, they're using it as quickly with they can turn it around within a couple of days. And they're getting up to something like 10 or 15 launches per rocket out of each, you know, recycling right, them. Yeah, right, uh... so, so if they can do this with the super, if the same thing applies to the super heavy or the, 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 the Starship. Starship is actually the thing on the top of it, the top part of it, which is, you know, the payload area, yeah. whether it's for people eventually. They've got a contract with NASA to send astronauts to the, to the moon in 2025, as yes. early as 25. So... So they've got a bit of work to do before you uh, put humans on board that well, thing. You'd have a bit of work to convince the humans that it was safe to go on that thing. The, the other quote that I thought was great was, um, <laughs> I don't know whether it's true, but years and years ago they used to say that Rolls-Royce didn't break down, they just 
in inverted commas, ceased to function. Right. Right. And so talking about uh, the rocket yesterday, they had a rapid, a rapid unscheduled disassembly. That was from Shotwell himself. Which is an explosion. Well. <laughs> yes. I love it. A rapid unscheduled disassembly. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some great things that um, apply, you know, that names that, they, you know, terms that they use with sort of tongue-in-cheek. Another one was when they were first testing the reusable Falcon 9, the workhorse, much smaller than the, than the Starship. They didn't land it on land initially because it was safer to land it out in the water on a barge in the Atlantic somewhere. Right, yeah. And the barges had these great names. One of them was called, um, Of Course I Still Love You. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of, I don't know, it was this idea that, you know, that, that the rocket's been off to space on its own and left the, left the barge and left Earth and, and then it comes back and, the, you know, the thing that it lands on, you know, still it still loves the thing. It still loves the ground, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, there's, there, is some, there is some good sort of tongue-in-cheek humour involved in all this. Well, they were that excited yesterday. 2.33 it took off American time. Which right. Is, yeah. But they, the engineers cheered when it took off, mm. as, you, as you would, mm. but they also cheered when it exploded. <laughs> um, and apparently champagne was passed around and all that sort of thing. I guess because, well, A, no one was hurt. Mm. But they also, they learn from their mistakes, I, I, I guess. Mm. I, I don't know why you would be cheering, but uh, <laughs> I don't know whether I would have been all that yeah. happy. But they seem to be just a very positive group. Years and years ago, I watched a thing on SBS, and it was one of those shows where they, they had a guy from the army, and, and you'd send your office workers there, and he'd get you to work together mm. the whole thing was about working together very positive and frightfully annoying sort of a person <laughs> and on the very last day he put all these people in a boat and they rode out to the middle of this freezing lock and there was sleet and snow coming in and they're sitting in the boat little rowboat there was nine of them eight people plus this this one guy and he made them strip off and put all their clothes in a garbage bag and he wanted them to then carry the garbage bags and swim back to shore. And they all went, barley, Charlie, that. And they all got together and they threw him overboard and paddled back in. Anyway, when he got back in, he's drenched, he's frozen, he's, you know, the whole thing. And the interviewer said, oh, were you expecting it? He goes, oh, no, wasn't it great? Did you see the way they all worked together to throw me overboard? And that reminds me of these engineers that were there. Oh, we've just lost $2 billion, but it doesn't matter. We're going to learn from this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is the way that they work. It, it is about, um, it's about iterative um, testing. So you, and, and one of the things I was reading um, earlier was, was that, you know, one, if you do an entrepreneurship course at Harvard or at a business school somewhere, uh, one of the things they'll say to you is that, you know, it's, it, it, it's, if you fail, it's all about learning from the failure. That's critical. Right. You know, they'd had some delays. They didn't expect necessarily, you know, to complete what they were hoping to do. They weren't going to reuse any part of any of the rocket. No. Um, this time around. They were going to crash the first stage, the super heavy booster, into the Gulf of Mexico. And then the Starship was going to do a fairly low half lap of the planet and then land in the water near Hawaii somewhere. And then I think they might have tried to recover the, the Starship with ships if that were, they had stationed over there. But right. that wasn't essential. They were, they were sort of prepared. They sort of were talking about how it'll become a dive wreck site or it'll be like, you know, trying to find the Titanic or something or, or that missing plane you know, with all those yeah. people in it or something. <laughs> but, but anyway, they weren't too concerned about reusability and they weren't concerned about... Uh, but they, you know, they didn't achieve those things. But the fact that they, got, they cleared the, the launch tower was considered a plus. And they passed that uh, max Q, that period of maximum dynamic pressure on the on the vehicle. They got to the point of about the time when they would separate the first from the second stage. But that that's when the thing went wrong, and they started doing these cartwheels and and boom. Yeah. But, but an unplanned disassembly. Absolutely. But they would have had telemetry coming in real time all the way through from multiple sensors throughout the whole thing, telling them how it was all withstanding the pressures of. You know, yeah. that amount of force. Because you've got to... I mean, one thing they were saying was that 
to have a separation happen safely, but staging um, event happen, the amount of pressure you've got, the, the, those, the, the mechanism that locks it together has to withstand unbelievable forces until the time when it's required to release. Right. Because, you know, you've got so much power underneath this thing. Another thing they'll be looking at apparently is, is whether the fins on the, on the top of the uh, rocket, on the Starship section of the rocket, um, whether they were a, a hindrance. Apparently, they're, they're, they're useful for recycling the, the Starship section, the top right, stage. Yeah. But they can be difficult because you've got all your powers coming from below and then you've got an aerodynamic effect caused by fins at the top of the rocket, which is sort of unusual. You, you more, you'd be better uh, just to have, your, have, yeah, just have one smooth rocket or have your fins down the bottom near the thrust area. So that's something that they may well decide not to do right. next time around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you, you, on the subject of, a, you know, they call it a sort of successful failure. You know, it is a bit jargony and, and sort of optimistic and rah-rah, but it's also the way that you develop a rocket. You know? Well, yes. I mean, you put it back to, you know, my successful failures, you know, trying to paint just before it rains and it all runs down the wall and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> Tell me about so, it. Yeah. So my successful failures aren't anywhere near as... As, as, as amazing as this, yeah, yeah. As but then you have to look, I, I guess, the whole idea of this is to eventually, as you said, 2025, to put people on the moon, mm. and then his idea is to go even further and take 150 people to Mars. Mm. You'd have to be a special sort of person regardless to go, yeah, all right, I trust him, I'll jump on his rocket. Yeah. Well, you know, there's this guy, it's amazing how this, this well, there's private customers, there's people, so there's billion, there's a Japanese billionaire who's become a mate with, with uh, Musk because he wants to get a ride on a rocket. Um, I think it's around the moon. Yeah. And I think it's, I forget the name of the project, it's called something like Beautiful Moon or something, but they're, they've got this... They've basically sent out invitations to people who've been chosen to do this ride on the rocket. And it's kind of a joy ride. Email or post? I must go and check. I haven't looked in the letterbox yeah, for a while. Right. Yeah, the junk mail. I haven't been down to the PO box either yet. <laughs> I'm sure there's an invitation for me. But yeah, this guy, a guy called um, Tim Dodd, who does a, he's got a quite a successful podcast called The Everyday Astronaut. And he's been allowed to do tours of this Texas Starbase. It's where they launched from yesterday. Yeah, it's in Boca Chica, down near the Mexican border, and it's chosen because you want to be you want to be as close to the equator as you can be to get into the right sort of orbit that you want. Right. Yes. So that's, yes. that saves on energy. That's why they launched from Florida for the um, you know the NASA rockets and and SpaceX rockets launched from Florida, and also the French launched from French Guiana and the Russians from. Um, from Kazakhstan, so it's all about you, know, you want to be close to the equator if you're launching, right? And actually, there was talk about having a, um, a a launch pad in northern Australia. I don't think it's gone very far, but there there has been talk because there's areas up there which have got plenty of space, and and you're getting up towards you know you're in the, the tropics, so yeah, yeah close okay, to, fairly close quickly, to the yeah, 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 makes sense. Uh, so there's, I mean, they used to launch rockets in Australia, in uh, South Australia, in in a rocket range in Woomera, which is I think a, a, an Aboriginal word meaning spear. And that all stopped, I think, in the 60s. We used to have quite an active space program. You know, we were launching our own satellites, but we let it all go. Like, we let the car industry go, <laughs> and now we're, you know... That's for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. So that's surprising to let it go. So would you would you go if you were I invited? Would, yeah, I mean, this yeah. guy, Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut guy, he's blown away. I mean, he's, he's described it as... Um, it's probably a bad choice of words at the moment. <laughs> blown away. Yeah, yeah, well... He's very enthusiastic. Yeah, he's very enthusiastic. <laughs> he, he, um, he said it's like, you know, it's like literally, you know, you know winning the golden ticket in, in you know, he feels like you know, chocolate, chocolate factory. <laughs> yeah. He's absolutely wrapped. But he was asked, you know, after watching this thing explode, you know, had, and apparently there was sand blasted out of the launch site. You were talking about how the infrastructure survived. Yeah. Well, five miles away where these guys were doing their podcast with the long lenses and filming it, they had, had sand raining oh, on them a, really? few, a few minutes after the launch. So it blasted a lot. I mean, the, the launch pad itself or the, 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 the launch tower might have survived, but they, uh, they certainly kicked up a lot of dust. And interestingly, they don't use a flame trench, which the way that the, the, the Saturn V worked was when it went off, the thrust went sort of underneath the launch pad and was directed out like literally through a trench. Okay. So, that it had, so you could dispel the energy somewhere. Right. right? 
Apparently the acoustic forces that are unleashed can also do a lot of damage. So they have, they have um, water, they spray a lot of water around at the time of the launch and that suppresses the heat a bit, but it, it suppresses the noise. So that can also be a, a, a problem. Um, so, so you look back now and you think, well, what Saturn was like the last Saturn rocket or that mm. I can remember, it was probably 70s, well, yep, maybe? Yep, 72 was the last okay, moon so, landing. So you think of the, how advanced those people were with what they actually had mm. to do what they actually did. You know, Absolutely. Everybody talks about, oh, well, how your phone has got more computer power now than, you know, the rocket, the Apollo 11. Mm. And so you think, well, what the, how great were those people? Yeah. To be able to do that then when we're really not doing apart from the fact that this new rocket has got you know 10 times as much thrust and 20 times as much power mm-hmm. you, you we haven't really gained that much over the, the no. 50 years have we no. really Werner von Braun, the, the rocket the german rocket scientist who, who developed the v2 that they used to bomb um, britain in in the latter stage of the second world war the americans snapped him up along with a whole bunch of rockets and the blueprints. There was a big competition because, you know, the, the, the Allies knew, the Russians knew as well, and um, they got some rockets, uh, V2s, that were left, they recovered some, or they got some that hadn't been fired, but the Americans got the lion's share of all that, plus a hundred of the best scientists, along with Werner von Braun. Oh, okay, I didn't realize and, this. And, 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 and he, Werner von Braun, was the guy who basically oversaw the development of the Saturn V rocket. So it was right. direct, to, you know, it was the same people who were, you know, who started off, who were, who were basically, I mean, this is their, their kind of, um, their excuse or their, their way of, of presenting yeah. history was that they were actually just dreamers and, and people who wanted to get into space and the people who paid the money at the time were the, was the German military. So they went along with that because it, it allowed them to pursue their, their hobby um, and uh, but that did lead to you know thousands of people dying in in raids on on London and, and England because um, they they had mobile launches and they could fire them from Holland and places like that over the Channel and have them land in in England right um, and um, and they were unstoppable because they were, they were, you know they they'd go up do this big arc and come in at you know multiple times the speed of sound and in those days there was no nothing nothing came close no plane no no there weren't patriot missile batteries to try to shoot them out of the sky or anything like that so it was really cutting edge technology anyway Werner von Braun he intended that after going to the moon he had all these blueprints let's go on to Mars he was saying we'll be landing on Mars with people in the 1980s given what we could do in the 1960s yeah I mean one of the amazing things is that the first person in space was, I think, in the late 50s. I think the first, the first object in orbit was Sputnik, which I think was, was probably mid-50s. So basically about 15 years later, only 15 years later they had men on the moon. I mean, mm. talk about a rapid progression. Yeah. So Werner von Braun is saying, okay, well, we've got the rocket. The rocket's the thing that makes it possible. We've got the heavy lift Saturn V. It can send 100 tonnes into orbit. It's enough to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, the, the last Apollo landing, they were there for about a week with a rover, you know, mm. collecting lots of, bringing back yep. half a ton of samples. Yep. Um, so, you know, Werner von, von Braun fully expected them to continue with it. And in the end, Nixon cut it, cut the funding, and they, they were left with a couple of spare Saturn Vs. And Werner von Braun died quite young, died, I think, in his, in his 60s. A bit of a depressed man, and he went to Washington to try to help on the sort of administrative side of NASA and was a bit disillusioned by all that. Oh, okay. And, um, and, oh, that's you know, fascinating. I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to look into him. Yeah, yeah. he's an interesting. I mean, he was obviously a very, very, um, you know, very bright guy. Yeah. Um, very, very passionate about it. I think he might have been a German aristocrat or, you know, right. his, his parents were. So he was very educated. Yeah. Was was ultimately, um, you know, his, his dream and, and what really, you know, given what they could do in 15 years or given what they did since... Um, from, from when Kennedy made his you know, famous speeches in the early 60s. Yeah. You know, putting yeah. men on the moon, bringing them back safely within the decade. Imagine what they could have done if, they, if they'd kept funding it, if they'd mm. kept iterating it as, as SpaceX is going to do. Because I, I was reading about, I, I sort of looked up, you know, what did, um, what did it, what's it cost so far, you know, with the whole thing with Musk and everything, and it's around, you know, they spent 
between two and four billion, I think, and they've got capital up to about 10 billion. And you think, in the scheme of things today, you know, we're spending 31 billion on a, t- you know, on a tunnel. Love them, not quite. But yeah. it's not as expensive as you would think it would be for perhaps the benefit that, you know, we might get. Well, I think I mean, that's always been a debate, and it was a debate. It was one of the you know one of the arguments that sort of supported Nixon cutting the Apollo program was people saying, "Look, we've got the Vietnam War going on. We've got yeah. we've got race riots. They had you know all sorts of domestic issues going on in America, and it's like, well, should we be spending money on something which is so sort of you know pie in the sky? You know, I mean, what's yeah. what's the real benefit to humanity if if we go to go to Mars and Musk's argument is that it's guaranteeing the survival of the species. You know, it's it's get it's making us an interplanetary species, um, and thereby, if if you know climate change or a meteor or World War Three or nukes or whatever wipe out humanity or send us back to the Stone Age, then at least we've got a mm. you know we've got a foot somewhere else. Yeah, which is pretty dramatic thinking, really. Well, it is, and and you know you really wonder what who actually would go and, and would it, you know, would it be one of those sort of scenarios which has been in, you know, in fiction, you know, where it's actually all the bloody wealthy people like Musk and all these billionaire buddies. Yeah. They're the ones who go off and, and uh, live on Mars and the rest of us get... And do they eventually come back? And they come back and, you know, <laughs> yeah, take over. Start again. all over again. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's where you get into the geeky sci-fi, the great unknown. I mean, maybe it's enough to say and... and you know, there was a photo of someone standing that, that spray painted "We Explore" on a on a placard somewhere near the launch site in yeah. uh, in Texas. That's maybe what it's about. That there isn't a clear, definable goal at this stage. But the only way you're going to really get into exploration beyond Earth is by you know you have to embrace this technology. Well, I suppose two fifty years ago when people got into ships and. Said, well, I'm I'm heading off. We're to don't know. Just going to go and see what I. You yeah. know, I'm sure there's something on the other side of the ocean. Yeah. So, uh, and they were laughed, you know, because the Earth was flat and yeah. uh, just fall off, and uh, off they went. So yeah. I, I guess we're really doing the same thing. Absolutely, know. absolutely. And you know, look, there are resources on the moon. There are rare earth elements, and there are you know there are things that could be useful, that could be mined, that could be valuable. There's an object which they I think they're sending a a robot explorer out there. I think the, the Americans, NASA has a probe that's going out to an object called Psyche, which is a, out in the asteroid belt or further out. But it's possible that it's made of solid platinum or something. They think it might be core, the metallic core of a planet that's had its outer crust stripped away right. somehow. And you're left with this cold core that's floating out in space. But it could be incredibly valuable. You know, but I mean, how on earth you tap into that and bring, and bring it, it back, back in, within, and then, you know, without our time frame? Yeah, well, and and you know, does the cost of getting it totally outweigh the the value of the thing once you got it here? Okay, so let me put this scenario to you. My the main reason you know we have wars is is for territory for resources. Yeah, for territory and resources. So you know, the one half of the world goes up to the moon and and finds something that's of value to the rest of the world and decides to bring it back so the the other half of the world decide well why should you get it i'm going to go so really are we just take are we going to eventually the wars that we have down here are we going to be having (laughs) up there (laughs) well quite possibly you know we'll become we'll become a race for for resources and you know that's why the Chinese have got landers on the far side of the moon. They've got robotic landers. They're developing their own rocket technology. They're de- developing their own systems. And they've even got a rover on the surface of Mars. They're probably about 20 plus years behind America. You know, they landed on the flattest part of the Mars they could find. Actually, yeah. somewhere the, Rus- the Americans had already landed because they knew it was safe. They didn't have any rocks or obstacles or large cliffs or anything to avoid. Whereas the Americans on Mars with their robotic landers, their rovers, they're now, they've got much better technology for, you know, if they, they've got maps, which, they've, which they've, they've mapped the whole surface. So they've found all the interesting areas and they've, they've developed the ability to, you know, precision land, even in a dangerous area. And they've now got a helicopter, which the latest rover carried a helicopter. And that's, that will be 
the way that you advance um, exploration of Mars is, is by using helicopter or quadcopter or whatever that can land somewhere with its instruments like the rover's got, yeah. do some science, take some samples, take off and go somewhere else. And then you can, you can explore much larger areas and you can get into really hard to get at places, you know, because mm. the bits of Mars that we want to, we might want to inhabit mm. are, might be inside a cave, might, might well be underground because the radiation environment on the surface of Mars is, is killer. You know, you get fried. Yeah. Plus there's no air. Yeah. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. So we've come a long way from sitting around the... the telly when uh, you know in whatever grade i was in at school yep. watching the grainy pictures in black and white of um do you honestly remember that or do you yeah, think yeah. you remember it no no i actually remember it only because how the irony of it how uncomfortable it was in a room like i went to a primary school in frankston they didn't have a lot of tvs not every room had a telly mm. so we had a tv that was wheeled in the janitorial stuff for want of a better description because mm. we didn't have you know we didn't have it back then mm. like so <laughs> well, yeah, definitely the TV. Yeah, yeah. it was a bloke that used to look after the incinerators and stuff at school right he wheeled it in in his gray dust coat put it in the corner the tv was it was black and white and it was up quite high mm. and i reckon we had probably 70 or 80 people in each classroom watching the landing and so each classroom had a black and white TV in it with the landing. Yeah, well, we had. Broadcast. There was probably only four or five TVs in yep. the school, so yep. everybody was jammed into because there was no big screens or anything back yep. then that yep. you could project it to. Yep. And the picture was appalling. Yep. And there was a lot of oh yeah, a teacher saying how good's that, and we just go yeah. And if you were sitting right in the front where I was, you were looking straight up, you could hardly see it anyway, let alone make anything out. Yeah. But the excitement and the the Herald was the newspaper back then. Then of course we went to the Herald Sun. They, they put a colour wrap around mm-hmm. of it, and I've I still had that till probably three or four years ago. Mm. Um, you know, my mum had filed it away for me. Yeah. It was just, uh, yep. yeah, it was an amazing time mm. to be involved with. Mm. Um, very exciting time. And very, yeah. you know, and, and coming back to that thing we touched on before about, you know, whether it was worth it, whether it was worth spending all that money on something with sort of questionable outcomes, given the social problems that were going on in the world, the wars that were going on, the Vietnam War, um, which, you know, it was a huge failure really for America and um, and it was very controversial there was lots of protests against it there was a huge sort of anti-war movement which made life hard for veterans when they went back to America all this sort of stuff that was going on pretty big stuff I mean it's, it's kind of similar really to stuff that's going on now you know, mm. just, you know maybe we're a bit more um, blase about it now I don't know but the argument against continuing it is kind of trumped by the by the, the benefits to America's technology and the world in particular. I mean, well, America's in particular and the world generally, but computer technology, a lot of that was was really um, catalyzed and accelerated by, you know, what they needed to do, the systems they developed to, to navigate to the moon, yeah. to control the systems on board. And they weren't, you know, a, 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 a mobile phone now is better than any of the computers that existed then. I mean, they had banks and banks of computers. There were computers the size of rooms. Yeah. But they were very, they were very, very clever about the way that they developed the software. They made things really, they had to make things really efficient because they just didn't have the memory that we do now. You know, they weren't talking gigabytes. They were talking kilobytes, mm. you know, really small amounts of data. But everything did work and... That really accelerated their technology sector and, and advanced, you know, companies like IBM were making the systems that control those, that rocket. You know, there were two million parts in the Saturn V rocket and they were, it was computer controlled and it worked. So um, Teflon was something that came out of the space program. Velcro. Velcro. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, so, you know, I mean, they're kind of cheesy examples in a well, way. Well, they're not but, really. But I think, I think just, I, I mean, it, it's... I don't think there's much doubt that, that they did accelerate their their lead in technology 
and certainly the the prestige of America around the world. It's a big statement. Yeah. You know, when there's a, a space because there was a space race. Yeah. And the, and the Russians had a rocket called the N one, which was a bit like the Starship that blasted off yesterday from Texas. So rather than the five big engines at the bottom of the Saturn V, the N1 had a cluster of, you know, dozens of engines on the bottom of it. And right. it, it flew, I think it flew, they launched it a few times, but it blew up each time. And they just didn't have the money and they didn't have the resources to kind of continue with it. So, you know, that's the catch and that'll be the thing which, which SpaceX may be able to do because they've got NASA contracts. You know, yes. They've got billions of dollars worth of NASA contracts because NASA's realised that they can actually do things better if they do it in partnership with the private sector. And I guess then the private sector makes... I don't know if NASA made any money out of Velcro or Teflon or, you know, whereas the private sector can probably see, well, if we do this, Mm. not only do we get the prestige of being the, you know, like surely it's got to help, you know, Musk with with every other thing that he does down here. Absolutely. But the technology that he would get from, you know, I guess it's a little bit similar to Formula One racing, Mm. you know, when that eventually that drifts down and and into our normal, you know, our normal cars, you know, carbon fibre brakes and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So they're happy to put the money into it because we only look at it, well, it's cost, cost Mercedes X amount of millions to run a race team for the year, what a waste of money. But then Mercedes look at it and go, well, that's just a drop in the ocean on what we get back in, mm, mm. you know, car sales and advancements and yeah, things and like that. and advertising and prestige and, and yeah. you know, the brand and all that sort of stuff, I think is all is tied up with it. Um, yeah, I, I, and I mean, don't forget, I hate to say it, but the military applications, I mean, you know, really what's the, what's yeah. the, what's the biggest interest Yes, in America, in, in supporting um, the likes of Elon Musk with the, with a heavily heavily rocket, is that you know it gives them a strategic advantage. If that's they're gonna he's gonna get huge contracts. Yeah, if they can put they can put a huge weight into space in one launch. I mean the the graphics I was seeing because he's got this Starlink, um, you know, global network thousands three and a half thousand and counting little satellites up there which deliver um, high-speed internet to the whole world and some of them actually to Ukraine and that's been quite controversial mm. and he's even limited he's tried to restrict what what Ukraine uses them for because he doesn't want to sort of get too political he doesn't want to get too involved mm. and um, and yet he has and I believe it's costing it's costing them sort of out of pocket they're donating effectively money to provide um, internet services supposedly not for military purposes but just to people civilians in Ukraine because it was knocked out. One of the first things the Russians did was take down their internet Mm. infrastructure. The graphics that you see of of the way that Starlink satellites can be launched from the Starship, because it's got such lift capacity, you know, it can put 150 tonnes into orbit. This, you you can fill it up with stacks and stacks of satellites, Starlink satellites, and they just come out like, like a, like a sort of coax out of a vending machine. Right. You know, just out of the sides. Right. Yeah. It's not just about putting uh, Americans back on the moon. I think it's the South Pole they want to go to because there's water supply there and their, their idea is to actually establish a, a lunar base. It's also satellite technology. That's another business that Musk has. One of his other interests is Starlink, you know, is, is making money out of providing internet services globally. So lots of, of other uses just apart from civilian or... Hmm. or um, necessarily peaceful yeah which makes you look at the bloke and go actually you know you're not just a mad scientist are you you know you're really yeah uh, yeah just i don't know how you how you could be as driven as he is to like lots of us see things oh gee wouldn't an electric car be great Mm. but he sees it and he goes, yeah, it would be. I'm going to have a go at making one. Mm. Or battery power, you know, mm. that's the, it's all very well to have solar, but you need to hold it, so we need batteries. So, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll have a go at that. Mm. Getting into space, yeah, why not? Mm. <laughs> Just... Well, I think it was all... Because SpaceX is, is a private company and obviously Tesla is a, a publicly listed company. Yeah. And I think what he's... What he's what he said is his sort of master plan is to kind of make enough money out of out of electric cars, which 
supposedly serves a purpose of you know making the place a greener. You know, we don't have to rely on fossil fuels. We go electric for, for transportation. But the money and the profit that he makes out of that, he's redirecting into his space interests. Mm. And there's actually a lot of privateers now in the space business. You know, they're launching rockets. I think there's a, there's a company called, I think it's called Rocket Lab, that is launching rockets from the North Island of New Zealand. They're, they're you know, smaller rockets. It's not anything like the size of um, no. this thing. Yeah. But they're doing that and it's working commercially. And the reason why New Zealand is, is... Well, New Zealand's happy to have it because they kind of... They get the sort of rub off of the technology, I suppose, on their own um, industry. But it's because of the location. Because you can look... New Zealand's actually got a massive ocean between it and the next landmass. It's, um, it's one of the biggest open, you know, it's the, it's the South Pacific, basically, all the way around to, um, to Chile. Mm. So it's a, a vast area to have as a rocket range from the east coast. Of, right, of, yep, of New that makes sense, yeah. yeah. And that's just one example. Virgin are, are into it. Richard Branson's got a company that's going to take tourists into space. Jeff Bezos from Amazon, he's got, he's got a company, uh, Blue Origin, that's kind of competing with, with uh, Musk, but not really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, he's, He's doing a little bit of space tourism with that. I mean, it has become a very competitive area and, and a lot of entrepreneurs who have been in the sort of tech area um, or in software or in startups and, you know, that sort of area have, have branched out into space technology and it's, and it's about resources, it's about government contracts. It's an exciting, it's an exciting time. I think it's like an exciting time like it was in the 1960s, you know, potentially. It's the dawn of a new era. Yeah. Where, it all, where it all leads. I mean, I suppose it's picking up where Werner von Braun was hoping things would go. It has to go somewhere, doesn't it? Because if it doesn't, like if all we do now is successfully land people on the moon in 2025, okay. about the only difference I could see from the 60s would be we got there quicker. Yeah. No, it, it has to be. Well, it has so to be. once we get there, we have to do something yes. rather than just ponce around and hit a golf ball and bring some samples back. Yeah. There's got to be some valid reason for it. Otherwise, we're just doing what... And I think... And I think our grandparents, right. you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know. And, and, and I think there's, there are people who are conscious of that. And I think that their plan is to establish a colony. They're going to land at the South Pole rather than you know, where they did in the middle of we the... We can't even get builders down here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> What hope would we have? Mm. Imagine the logistics of that. Yeah. I mean, well, it makes I know it sounds part of the logistics, and it's, it's, it's a, it is a massive logistic exercise to, to do that to uh, to have a colony at the South Pole of the Moon. But one thing you've got to do is you've got to have a, a like the equivalent of a space station. Yes. In in lunar orbit, so that's yet to be built. I think that's going to be called Gateway, and so you 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 would take off from from Earth on your on your starship. Uh, or, or on the um, Artemis, which is the big American yes, um, rocket, which, which, that, did, yeah. which actually flew successfully. I mean, they delayed it by a few months. They took took their time, unlike the sort of gung-ho SpaceX privateer people who just said, yeah, let's just launch. Oh, well, I, was reading, I was reading they, the reason it was 2.33 when it took off was because they did stop it at one, one stage and mm. then they went, oh, no, it's okay, start it up again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Okay, fair enough. Whereas NASA, spending government money, yeah, which, they're a lot more cautious. They stop something and then they might wait two or three days they, or no, a they week. They waited weeks or yeah. months even. And, and then they did actually have, a, 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 I think, a flawless um, first you know, maiden voyage where they actually went round the moon and did a lap and then came back to Earth and splashed down. Yeah. So they, they confirmed the sort of top to bottom, you know, the whole system. And made, made sure it all worked. So they'll be able to do more. But so sorry, I led you down the garden path there. So we've got the space station mm. that we have to build. So we, we take off to there. Yeah, you can either leave on Artemis or you leave on a rocket like the one that takes you up to the International Space Station. So that's the tried and tested, you know, reliable workhorse, the Falcon 9. And those engines are... I think it's a similar engine that is at the base of the Starship. So they've just got, you know, instead of nine, it's called the Falcon 9, it's got nine engines on the bottom. Well, as opposed to 33 or whatever. That, 33, yeah. yeah. They're just clustering them in a circle and then there's a bunch in the middle of the Starship which gimbal so you can steer it. And they didn't all fire last night. But not, you can actually see in, in some of the tracking shots 
underneath, you could see it wasn't a, a perfect circle of dots. There was some black holes. Oh, okay. Right. And, and I think there was one that lit during, you know, because it's trying to light and it's, its instruction is to light, but they didn't all light. I think there were probably, there might have been out of 33, there might have been, I don't know, six or so that didn't light up. It's like you're trying to get your barbecue started. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, whooshka! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of them says this big explosion that I, that I noticed on the way up, and I think that was one of the, the Raptor engines lighting up on the way up. But what was amazing was that they, they clearly could get the thing off the ground without all of them lit anyway. Mm. And I think that was the case with the Saturn V. There was a, I think there was one of the launches they did with the Saturn V where one of the engines shut down and they just they managed to get up to, they limped. Yeah, to where they needed to get to. Well, I suppose if you can fly a seven four seven, or you know, that's showing my age there. If you can fly a jet on just one engine now, yeah. I guess you yeah. can. Uh, so logistically, to, to set a place up on the moon, mm. so you're saying you'd have to go to the. There's no Bunnings up there. Mm. So where are your Walmart or anything like that? Where, where are you storing the materials for people to live? So you've got to do multiple flights. You've got to, you've got to, you've and got to. And then they can't stay there while they're building because there's nowhere to stay because they haven't built it. Yeah. So they're going to send, they'll send some unmanned landers down to send the, the habitation modules or module, get that down there, get some supplies down there. The reason they want to go to the South Pole is that there's believed to be water deposits there, large water deposits, and they can make fuel. And obviously humans need water anyway to, to drink. Yeah. But they can also make fuel out of it. They can get the hydrogen and the oxygen right. out of it, and that and that is basically rocket fuel. So the benefit of going to the moon before you go to Mars is potentially you get your ability to you're extracting water out of the moon. You're making rocket fuel there, and then you're fueling up rockets that that can go without needing to escape the gravity of the Earth. The moon has much less; it's one sixth. So one sixth the energy required to take off and and, and head off somewhere else. Right. Uh-huh. You can look at the SpaceX website, but it shows two starships side by side, like enormous craft, belly to belly, with an umbilical, and one's fueling up the other one. The idea is you've got one that's in orbit around the Earth, you launch a second one with just a fuel tank as a that's its payload, and it fuels up the, the rocket that's already up there. So, so then you... That'd be the job you'd want, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sitting there with 150 tonnes of highly flammable fuel on top of your own 100 tonnes yeah. of highly flammable yeah. fuel. Well, they say it's, it's the equivalent of... Um, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> astro- the, the uh, Apollo astronauts used to joke that, you know, we're sitting on a, a small nuclear bomb. Yeah. You know, when they're, they're sitting on the top of this Saturn V and it's, and it's on the launch pad waiting to, waiting to get launched. And, and this is the thing, I mean, there's not really much scope for a, a disaster. I mean, the shuttle got, you know, they had two yes. uh, you know, uh, apocalyptic failures, seven people killed each time. And that was pretty much the death. The second time that happened was the death knell for the space shuttle. Mm. The same thing could easily apply to this effort to get to the moon. Maybe it works the first time, but it might, if it doesn't work the second time or if, it, if, if there's reliability problems, there's not going to be much tolerance for failure no. when human lives are involved. No, well, that, um, that will so, make a big difference, yeah, won't it? Yeah. yeah. It'll either open up the competition to someone else who can do it safely, which may allow the whole thing to keep going, or it might just mean that they just say, okay, well, we're just not going to do it. You know, we just, we'll pull our head in. Yeah. But I wonder if the, the reason for doing it would overcome the... The reason Safety. for not. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you know, unfortunately, it probably comes back to the, you know, if you're looking for the, what the ultimate reason or the most compelling reason that will we'll continue to get support from government, government contracts, is, is likely to be military, you know, because space is, a, is now a, a kind of a battleground. <laughs> but then it comes around in a circle, doesn't it? The whole reason, you know, we're doing this is military-based, mm-hmm. but it's a military base that can turn on us that could make us have to escape to another planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's the irony of it. Yeah, the, the, it's the, gone from Teflon and Velcro, yeah, you know, to... To megabombs and, to and mega, bombs mega weapons, and, yeah. And yeah. things like that. And yeah. people just, everybody a bit too nervous and, okay, well, we better escape to the moon. Why is that? Well, because we've got all these weapons here that yeah, yeah. we actually helped develop yeah. so we could get to the moon. Oh, yeah. wait a minute, that's not working, is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but I think it is exciting and it definitely captures people's imagination. Listening to your story about, you know, you're a little bit older than me and you remember being at school and seeing it on a black and white TV. I, I, I mean, I, I was two when, yeah. when, the moon, when Armstrong walked on the moon 
and I vaguely remember dad being really excited and he was actually working from home at the time and I vaguely remember being taken into the TV room and there was a small black and white TV with a very grainy picture. Oh, very grainy. And, and just sort of, and dad was standing there saying, look at that, look at that, that's, that's amazing. This is history in the making kind of thing. And, yeah. and I, just, I just remember the idea that this was excitement, this was interesting. Well, uh, I think that the whole thing about being, look, the teachers fed that excitement. Mm. You know, I was born in 61, so, you know, I was eight years old and... Really, there hadn't been enough other stuff in my life to, to go, oh, well, this will be the best thing in the world, you know, the best, uh, this is going to be better than sliced bread sort of thing. It, it was only because the teachers built that excitement. But I've got to say, when you looked at the grainy pictures and stuff like that, half the time you couldn't tell what was going on, but we were just rolling with it, you know, peer group pressure, everybody could see it, so yeah. Why not? You know, yeah, I think it was a distraction from the bad things going on in America. You know, there were there were four hundred thousand people working on the Apollo program at the height of it, in a landscape of sort of bad things going on and Cold War and Vietnam War and racial tensions and all sorts of things going on in America. The thing that stood out beyond all that, which was kind of undoubtedly good or impressive or inspiring, was the space program. But so this is cynic. In you, would that sometimes think there was a fair bit of nothing to see here? Look over there. That's, you know. A little bit, yeah. I mean, look, yeah. look, I don't think it was like that. I think that, I think that, you know, I think it was a, a, a young president who, who got the whole thing going and then he got killed, you know, he got assassinated. It was hard for other politicians and presidents who followed him to not honour that thing that he had had proposed and sort of done to inspire the country and he may have had his own reasons he was maybe trying to you know he's trying to distract people from other issues that he had as president other things yeah. that you know hadn't gone so well for him the bay of pigs or whatever you know things like that that were happening in the early 60s in the yeah. Kennedy so, presidency so a question without notice then mm. that was something that at the time turned the world on like grabbed the whole world's attention mm. Is there anything you can think of since then? Maybe the Berlin Wall coming down comes to mind for me. Mm. Is there, I wonder if there's anything else that you can think of that has actually grabbed the world's attention to that, to the extent that that not, did. Probably not on the scale of it. I uh, mean, and this, I suppose, just to kind of maybe look towards wrapping this up, you mentioned conspiracy theories about... Yes. About, about, you know, whether we actually went to the moon. And yeah. all these people who say, no, we didn't. And you were talking about how the astronauts themselves would say, well, it's just absolute rubbish. And, you know, you're, just, you're an idiot. If you want to think that, you can think it. But to me, there's not too many things which are on the scale of putting a man on the moon. It does stand out in a historical sense. If we'd been in Texas, to, like, you know, those thousands of people who camped out to watch the Starship take off, you're seeing a 40-storey building launched into space. Mm. You know, in the case of, I think, the, the Apollo Saturn V was, was um, a little bit smaller. It might have been a 36-storey building. But, yeah. I mean, it would, it's, a, it's a massive object. To see that launched, very inspirational. To put, a, to put a, a person on another celestial body, well, we can be pretty sure that's never, ever happened in human history. And funnily enough, if, if the world gets blown up or if we turn the place into a... We go back to the Stone Age for a nuclear war or climate change or... All of the above, yeah. Whatever, yeah, D, all of the above. Those flags and the, and the remnants of the Apollo program will, will still be there. All those landers that we've... The rovers mm, that we've put true. on Mars... So we could have nothing here. Still be there. Yeah. So, so someone from, you know, someone from an alien civilization eventually, you know, if they come in, you know, they come in from the outer solar system, they stop off at Mars, they find these sophisticated nuclear-powered rovers and go, wow, the someone was here. I mean, there's a bunch of bloody weird insects on the next planet in, but there must have been something that was capable of this. So I suppose what I'm saying is that there aren't too many things that are on the scale of putting people on the moon. It was a big achievement. And I reckon on the subject of the conspiracies, my take, I've never understood why really, why there are all these conspiracy theories. I mean, the conspiracy theories about everything, basically. Yes. You know, I mean, the world's not short of conspiracy theories. But um, 
I always, my, my take on it, because I had a mate, he's, he's no longer with us, but I had a mate and he, he used to believe that it was all rubbish as well, the, the, the lunar landings. And I said, mate, I actually thought it was either him just wanting attention, you know, just like, let's have an argument about something. Yeah. Because I know that you don't agree with me, so I'll just say this. And, yeah, I'm uh, going to poke the bear with the yeah, stick. Yeah, we'll have an argument. Yeah. You said it was black, I'm saying it's white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I also think that there's a, there is a sense that it's, it's such an amazing thing to have done that a lot of people can hardly believe it, you know, that, that it, it really is in that area. And it's very hard to prove because it's not like you can go to the moon yourself and, 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 and pick you know, up the... check it out for yourself and like a, like a, like you could, you know, visit, I don't know, like a, a historic uh, monument somewhere, yeah. in a, you know, in a city. Or but see, I didn't realise when you said there was 400,000 people mm. involved with it, mm. if, if you, <laughs> probably a bad analogy... But I've tried to organise a surprise part, birthday party for my wife and involve 40 people. Mm. And trying to get 40 people to keep a secret is almost impossible. Absolutely. Trying to get 400. Yes, is a, exactly. You know, I've done, worked on TV and, and uh, the people that win on a game show aren't allowed to say anything until the show's gone to air. Mm. You don't get your prize until the show goes to air. And if you tell somebody that you've won before the show goes to air, there's a chance it can be pulled. So we've got a crew of maybe 100, 100 people plus the person involved in the show, and they have to keep a secret, and that's, that's hard. 400,000 people yeah. aren't yeah. going to be able to, yeah. you know, we were just pretending. Did yeah, you ever just... see a film called Capricorn One? Yes. Yeah. Now, that was, that was about a, a fate that they were, they were going to send. It was like the progression of Apollo. Okay, we'd be to the moon. Uh, we're going to do what Werner von Braun's dream was, and we're going to go to Mars in the 1980s. I yes. Mean, set in the 80s. It had Elliot Gould in it. The premise is that NASA discovered that, that they couldn't do it, but they didn't want to let everyone down. Let they didn't the want to admit down, yeah. for, you know, because of the space race with the Russians or the Cold War yeah. background, whatever. They wouldn't admit to it. And so they, they kidnapped all the astronauts and actually started killing them off so that they wouldn't tell the truth. Mm. And Elliot Gould is the journalist who, who hunts them down. And in the end, the one surviving astronaut who sort of battled all the forces of evil and NASA bastards who were trying to, the CIA and the sort of dark state or whatever that's trying to knock them off, he arrives at his funeral, his state funeral in Washington and, and runs in and, he's, and that's the end of the film, you know, and, and all the baddies who, who know what's really going on. They should on. have been goodies. They're, 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 all, they're, all, you know, they're all in big trouble. Yeah. Um, you know, Hollywood and what Hollywood can do and what you can do with special effects and, and the way that you can, you know, manipulate reality. That's, it, that's, it makes it hard... It, well, it, it, it makes it harder for some people, I suppose, to accept. That, yeah, but that, that's now. Mm. Not in 69. Mm. There wasn't a lot of... Although, that said, I guess we were watching it on crappy black and... Or grainy black and white TV, so that could... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I don't believe that it didn't happen. Yeah. Um... But, uh, but as to why people are so into the conspiracy theory that, that it didn't... I mean, the I don't only, know what damage the only it does, logical you know. explanation I can think of myself to explain that is that that's because it was such an amazing achievement. Yeah. You know, it's such a big thing, really. We talked about catalyzing their industry and their technology and stuff and giving them a, a lasting legacy. You know, they had university courses that they had to develop to train those 400,000 people. They were using slide rules. They had thousands of engineers hand drafting the two million moving parts inside the Saturn V rocket. Well, that, that's the other thing too. You, you look at, I'm not talking about conspiracy now, I'm just talking about the mind-blowing achievement mm. that it was to get them there mm. because they didn't really have calculators and stuff like that. You know, mm. like they, to actually do it, to sit there and in that time frame come up with well how are we going to get and that's why I really like that movie Apollo 13 mm. now I, I don't know how much poetic license they took with what actually happened mm. on the craft for them to have to repair but it seemed fairly realistic but to have those people sitting down and, and working out how to solve that problem without computers it blows me away that you know, but then I, I'm still blown away by 450 and five, 450, 500 year old places in London, mm. you know, in England mm. that mm. were built by hand with big, big bricks there. and they're yeah. still there. Yeah, yeah. You know? All the, all the pyramids, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Antikythera mechanism, which was that thing they found in a, in a shipwreck, 2,000 year old 
machine which had cogs which allowed them to predict the phase of the moon and, yeah. and, and, and things like that, which no one believed that that, that tech technology could have existed you know, when it, when it did, basically, you know, 500 BC or 300 BC yeah. or something, you know. So, so we're constantly surprised about, about um, you know, what, what um, you know, even ancient civilizations have been capable of. You know, I like going into town and you, you see a building being constructed now, a, a tall building, and there's cranes and scaffold and gantries and trucks and stuff. And then 100 metres down the road is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm. You know, which would have all been built by yeah. enormously tall building, beautiful inside, craftsmen, artisans, the mm. whole lot. Yeah. Imagine yeah. building that back then with, uh, come Absolutely. on, Reg, I need you to get right up the top there and put that Absolutely. block in. <laughs> Absolutely. No, incredible. That's so, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, you see those guys standing on, um, you know, when they were building the skyscraper, you know, building yeah. the Empire State Building, you know, or the Chrysler Building in the yeah. 1930s in New York, you know, and these guys sitting on these, you know, these massive beams, yeah. you know, eating, in, eating, in, their sandwiches. eating their sandwiches at yeah. 50 stories high. And, and so you get back to, well, you look at what they did way back then. I wonder, uh, indulge me a little bit here, but if, who was the gentleman you're talking about from Germany? The Werner von Braun. Okay, so yeah. just say Werner von Braun and all those people that he worked with didn't age. Mm. Let's just pretend they don't age. And so they've gone from the 60s to now. What would we be seeing from them? What would they be producing now? There's actually, a, there's a, I think it's an Aussie movie or it was an Aussie joint venture or something called Iron Sky. And the premise was that Hitler never died and they, the, the Nazis fled after you know losing the Second World War to the far side of the moon. No, right. Under a, a lunar base. Right. And, and then started, you know, after they sort of regrouped and got their self-organised, they, they started attacking the world again. Anyway, Iron Sky, it's a, it's a spoof, basically. You're standing on the shoulder of giants and, and we've got... You know, computer technology has, has come such a long way. And I mean, we could lose it. All we need is a, a good, good old nuclear war and we'd be back to, you know, that could, I mean, they, apparently they lost the wheel. You know, yeah. they had to rediscover the wheel. We could lose this, this ability to stand on the shoulder of giants and, and do these sort of things like go back to the moon, have a moon base, have a orbiting space station around the moon, go to Mars. I do find it exciting. I've always been a bit of a, you know, I, I suppose from when I was a kid, I've always found this stuff exciting. And I've, you know, there's so many docos and things that you can watch on mm. YouTube about all this. But funnily enough, the exploration of Mars, for example, it's all been done robotically. Yes. It's obviously much cheaper to do things robotically. Oh, of course. And yeah. much safer and pretty effective. I mean, there are actually quite, quite eminent, eminent scientists and, and well-qualified people who say there's no point going to Mars. Don't go to Mars. It's, oh, really? It's bloody freezing. Through through that experimentation, it's, 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 they've yeah, gone... Yeah, it's minus... I think it's the average temperature something like minus 70 Celsius, or it gets as cold as minus 70. It's well below zero most of the time. It's got it's got no atmosphere. It's virtually... It's 100 of the density of the Earth's atmosphere on the surface. And, and that's because it's got very little atmosphere. So unlike the Earth, which has a magnetic field and an atmosphere to protect us from cosmic radiation and solar flares and all the rest of it. Mars doesn't have that. So if you go to Mars, so you're going you're you're to be growing cauliflowers out of your, you know, yeah. head in, out of your neck in, in no time. You know, it's, it's a super radioactive environment to live in. So you'll have to live <laughs> under a dome or something. <laughs> Oh, I just love the simplistic way we put it. You're going to be growing cauliflowers out of your neck in, in no time at all. <laughs> well, you know, it just illustrates a, a, a logistical problem of being there. That's yeah, all. no. As opposed right. to robotic exploration. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting chat. I think Musk said he's going to launch another one in three months' time. They've got a few others sitting on the pad, so that it's not like they've got to build them. They've got no. them already. Yeah. They're definitely planning to go again. But yeah, you wouldn't want to wouldn't want to be on board. Yeah, it'll be a while before I, you know, I'll, I'll using be ponying up my money and yeah, yeah, throwing that on the. Uh, well, I imagine your frequent flyer points. So, oh, to, the, to Mars. Oh, yeah, to Mars and back. <laughs> well, they might, they, might, know, they might have a special deal <laughs> if you're prepared to go on an early, early, early version, early prototype. Then um, you know it's a bit cheaper. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a big disclaimer you'd have to uh, sign, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Gee whiz. Yeah. No, so there's a whole bunch of people. It's called Beautiful Moon or something that um, 
the, the, the everyday astronaut, astronaut that guy, um, Tim Dodd, and, and others, and the Japanese billionaire, and a whole bunch of people have all sort of been handpicked, and they're all going to get to go on a joyride. See, I'm, I'm just thinking, and uh, you know, sometimes my family accuse me of bobbing around like a poo in the pool. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a bit negative. Just, I've been on flights to Sydney where I'm sick of the person I'm sitting next to within yeah, seven yeah. minutes. So imagine sitting next to somebody on a flight to Mars for, yeah, for six months. Uh, six months, just oh. And then getting there and. Getting and they it. open their phone up to show you a photo of their kids and their grandkids. It's like, oh God, <laughs> get me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be like flying high. I'd have the rope around my neck. <laughs> if you need to go, you have to go for a while. So I imagine they're going to have to send couples. They're going to have to send people who, get in, you know, who are into each other. Yeah. You know, who can breed or do something to keep themselves happy. And, yeah. Six month flight. Yeah. Like Six months and then and then you've got to stay there for a while before the launch window, you know, opens up coming to back. Open, yeah. Yeah. And you get there and someone's mucked up your accommodation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a long way to go. There's a crack in the dome. Maybe this launch of the Starship, even though it did only last four minutes, might look back in uh, 20 years' time and say this was really the, uh, the dawn of a new era. Mm. I'm sure, that's what they're hoping for. Yeah. Great to chat, mate. Yep, likewise. Thank you.